Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I, uh, I missed you last week. I was gone. But uh, I have noticed that just in that one week's time, the age demographic has gone down significantly in here, which is awesome because I'm glad that school is back in session and that you are here. So welcome. Uh, wherever you go to school, uh, thank you for being here. And for you that have been uh, attending all along, well, hello to you too, right? <laughs> it's great to be together. It's awesome to be able to worship our God. It's great to elevate and celebrate the name of Jesus. So thank you for being here. Rick Matson did a great job last week opening up John chapter 11. As we've been working our way through the foundation series, uh, we're getting now to one of my favorite sections of scripture, which is this account of the raising of Lazarus. Okay. I don't know about you, but it, it really, it's not only speaks to me, but I think that it also has something really important to say to us in the current world that we're living in. So it's not just something for when it happened. It's something for right here and right now. And so thank you for being here. I think you will find that you have picked the right day to be a part of Grace Church. So thank you. Um, I got to tell you, if you are not familiar with, with what a seminary degree typically entails, if you're pursuing a master's of divinity like I was, part of that, a chunk of that, is they want you to do something called CPE. Okay? Anybody? Well, if you knew it, it'd be like, ooh. Uh, CPE is clinical pastoral education. It's basically a chaplaincy. Like they, you, you get at least some choice in the matter of where you're going to do this chaplaincy. And for me, I had a specific mission in mind because a lot of times chaplaincy is done at hospitals and things like that. And honestly, I didn't want to go to a hospital. I didn't want to do any, I didn't want anything to do with, I don't like hospitals. Uh, some of you know some of my story. I've been in and out of hospitals. I'm not a real big fan of hospitals. I certainly didn't want to spend nine months at a hospital, but I had even a more specific reason for that. And that was, I was trying my best to avoid death. Okay? Now think about it. You go serve as a chaplain in a hospital, you are going to deal with death. It's going to be front and center. There's going to be tragedy. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be death. It's going to be in your face. And I didn't want anything to do with that. I think part of me, as, as many of us, especially you younger folks, might be thinking, well, death is something that's just, it's, it's way out. It's, it's away from me. I don't need to deal with that. I don't want to think about it. And so that was kind of my perspective as well. So I went to this long-term care facility and I interviewed for the chaplaincy there again, nine months. And so I'm, I'm in the interview process, uh, with the woman who's hiring the, the chaplains. And I just asked like, Hey, in an average nine month span, how many people typically die during that time? And she was like, oh, not many. You know, maybe, I don't know, one or two you might encounter. And I was like, oh, all right, I think I can do it. That sounds like, this sounds like it's for me. Now, thank you. The Lord works in mysterious ways, folks. I was either on site, there were six of us in a rotation, and I was either on site or on call as 11 people passed away. 
Okay? Now, I was there for 10 of the 11. So much so that I started to actually get a reputation with my other colleagues who would just sort of maybe sit a little bit further away from me. Matter of fact, on one of the floors, they, they had a, a cat who was 18 years old, and we came to one of the meetings that we had every Tuesday, and they said, well, he got some really bad news. Uh, Smokey, the cat, passed away. And as she's saying this, everybody's just kind of... <laughs> and somebody finally just said, did you touch that cat? <laughs> but the Lord was teaching me something. This, I want to let you in on the secret, okay? You might have recently read in the news that, that Harvard has a new head of their chaplaincy program. You heard this? Uh, atheist, okay? This person is an atheist. Now, I don't quite know how you do a chaplaincy as an atheist, but I do have kind of some suspicions because part of this, even this clinical pastoral education, the CPE program, it's designed to try to get you not to be a Christian. Okay, and so they, they teach you things like, well, when somebody's going through this and when, when you're losing a loved one and there's, they're grief stricken and mourning and, and all of this is going on, well, you just need to be present. They, they, they have a phrase for it even. They get, you just need to do the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for that, and I'm not even saying that that doesn't sometimes uh, allow for a great deal of comfort, but this is what I am saying, and this is what I can tell you after being in this situation over and over and over and over again. I am not good at the ministry of presence. Why is that? Because I have something that needs to be said. What needs to be said? Well, let me ask you this. Is there anything more terrifying than a God who doesn't say anything to you? If you are in the midst of some of the deepest heartache, struggle, wondering, falling into despair, wondering how you're even going to make it the next hour, and there's some awkward person who is just standing in the corner, not saying anything, who's the chaplain, who's doing the ministry of presence. This was not for me. I had to bring the good news of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about like, oh, I started, you know, throwing Bibles out and we, you know, I'm talking about very tenderly and very carefully working within that situation to actually give the promises of Jesus to give the promises. That's what each of us, if you are a Christian, that is what each of us is called to do, is to tell the good news of who Jesus is, especially speaking that to people who are suffering, people who are dealing with insurmountable situations, people who have lost hope. Now, there's no shortage of that in the world that we live in right now, right? I mean, you don't need to look very far. You are, I've heard a lot of your stories. I know there is a lot of pain. I know there is a lot of struggle. I know there is a lot of, of death that doesn't make any sense at all. Random acts, people dying. We've got a mess in Afghanistan. We've got a pandemic that just won't go away. We've got division. We've got death. We've got one after, we've got disease. We've got sickness. We've got anxiety. We've got despair. We have got overwhelm. We have it all. 
And yet, right in the middle of that, when the world is cheering so hard for us to just give up, give up hope and fall completely and totally into despair, we have this good news of Jesus who steps into the middle of it. Maybe not in the way we want, maybe not at the time we want, but I assure you, Jesus is never absent. He is present. Only his presence does things that you and I cannot do on our own. And so we want to take a look at that today. But just as I get done saying all of that, if you were here last week, you remember that Rick uh, talked about this, I would call it somewhat peculiar way of loving that Jesus has at the beginning of John chapter 11. So I'm just going to refresh our memory here. If we, if we remember in, in verse uh, 5, in John chapter 11, verse 5, uh, listen to this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Here's the most interesting part. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, that doesn't sound like very loving, does it? That should outrage us. What are you talking about? You mean Jesus, it, the previous verse just said that Jesus loved these people. Well, then why didn't he drop everything and go right as soon as he found out that Lazarus was sick? Why, why, did he, why didn't he do it? What, what, he was not definitely not practicing the ministry of presence. He was, this was the ministry of absence, right? Two more days he waited. And then later when the disciples are still talking about this, they're still trying to figure this out, like what, what's really going on here? Well, then they, they think that Lazarus is asleep. And, you know, all of us probably know to some degree that sometimes when we're not feeling well, oh, a nap can really help. Sleep helps us. And so the disciples say, oh, yeah, this is great. Uh, he's asleep. Awesome. Then he'll get better. And so finally, Jesus has to double down. And so in verse 14, he says, he told it, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. He's not asleep. Lazarus is dead. And then he doubles down on what he said earlier. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But now let's, let's go to him. And so in the midst of whatever you might be facing in your life, whatever struggles you might be having, whatever, whatever ways death, destruction, division, despair might be knocking at your door right now in your situation or in the world that you're observing around you, I want you to, to know this. Death is real, but it's not the end. Death is real, but it's not the end. We've heard this over and over again all through our time as we've been looking through the gospel of John. In various ways, Jesus has said this over and over. And in John chapter 5, I think it's verse 26, he actually says, don't be surprised when I say on the last day, I will call out your name and the dead will be raised. And for those who have done good, they will go on to eternal everlasting life. And for those who have done evil, they will go on to everlasting condemnation. So death, as we think about it, is definitely not the end. But also remember what makes the difference between good and evil 
Is it how many good things that we do, what our resume is, uh, how we've filled out, uh, how important we are, what we maybe have achieved in this life? No. As John has told us over and over again, as he's used this metaphor of, of coming out of the darkness and into the light, he's again and again said, what good is, is to believe and receive Jesus and the one who sent him. And evil is to turn your back and reject Jesus. So I want you to be thinking about that. Where are you at today? Where are you at in the face of this account of the raising of Lazarus? Jesus asks some really important questions. We're going to talk about those today. But think about where are you at right now? If you were to die, well, we, none of us, even when we think we might have control over the day and the hour when we die, we don't. It is outside of our control. And that can either cause us to fall into despair or it can drive us into the loving arms of our good shepherd that we've talked about over and over and over again. So rest assured in the face of a world that is so hopeless, Jesus Christ has come and he is our hope. Let's pray before we read this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for gathering your body that we might stand in defiance of the bad news of the world, not by celebrating how great we are, but instead recognizing and celebrating how great you are and what you've done, what you continue to do, and what you will do. Lord, I ask that right now you open our ears and open our hearts that we might be raised from the dead in this moment, that you might bring us into the new life that you have promised that's only possible through you. And so, Lord, I ask that it not be my words that we hear, but it be your very word that's declared and proclaimed in this place because we know your word has the power to do what it says. We give this time to you. We surrender our hearts to you and we thank you for being right here with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start at verse 17. I'm going to read this all the way through verse 44, and then I just want to go back and uh, pick out some, some key things that, that uh, I don't think are just relevant for the folks that originally experienced this event or heard about this event, but that's very relevant for us today as well. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jewish people had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into this world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jewish people who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jewish people who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who had opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once again more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is an amazing word from our Lord. And so when you think about what you're dealing with, your life circumstances, the challenges and the struggles that you're facing. Have you noticed that when we encounter difficulty, one of our first temptations is to not go to Jesus. We don't go to Jesus. Maybe we start out that way. Maybe we pray and we ask Jesus and we beg and we ask Jesus and we say, Lord, you got to come and do this and this and this and this. And we give him a task list and we say, do these things, Lord. We need your intervention right now. Maybe he doesn't come. Maybe he stays away. And so what do we do in response to that? Well, we get further and further away from Jesus. And so look at the difference between Martha and Mary here. In verse 20, you heard it. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. And so my first plea to you is that even though you will be tempted to stay away from Jesus, go to him. In times of pain and suffering, don't stay away from Jesus. Go to him. Now, thankfully, we're not meant to figure that out on our own. God has placed people in our lives. Many of the people that you're sitting right amongst right here, right now, that are called to remind you and to remind me of the promises we have in Jesus. That death is not the end. Our struggle, whatever it is, is not the end. It doesn't have the final say. Jesus alone has the final word on everything. And we're called to remind one another of that. Do you have people in your life that will do that for you? Well, look around. These are those people. That's what we're called to do for one another. We're called to walk alongside one another and to remind each other of this good news in the face of struggle. And yet, one of the first temptations we have when we face difficulty is to isolate ourselves, 
to stay away from other people. To, well, we have all kinds of reasons for this. I don't want to be a burden to anybody else. I, I, I really don't want to. But really, if we dig down deep, oftentimes it's because we don't know if we can truly believe what Jesus has said. And so we're kind of considering our options as we stay away. But I encourage you, don't do that. Find people in your life and ask them to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ over and over again because his word does what it says. It has the power to raise the dead. It might not work out the way that we all want it to, but that does not mean that the Lord is not with us every single step of the way. He is present even when we feel like he might be absent. And you know, Martha gets a lot... Honestly, she gets a bad rap a lot of time because there's another part of scripture that talks about when Jesus was there in their house speaking, uh, Mary was sitting at his feet. And remember, Martha was busy with all these chores, doing all these things and, and not paying attention. But guess what? She must have paid attention because here, we have the evidence right here. Just listen to the things that uh, Martha actually says. Look at, uh, look at verse 23. After all of this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, that's a pretty good theological statement right there. Mary, uh, Martha was actually, even if she was running around doing chores and whatever she was doing, she was listening. The word got in there. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, here's the interesting part. What do they believe? They believe something about Jesus, yes, but they don't have the full picture. They don't quite have it all figured out, but they have a lot of it figured out. What do I mean by that? Well, both Mary and Martha, if you look in verse uh, 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary later, when she finally goes to Jesus, after uh, Martha says, hey, he's asking for you, she says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So they believe that Jesus has the power to heal people, to stave off death, to make death not come. But they don't quite yet understand that he has the power to overcome death. But they will know. Because that's where this is headed. That's good news, not just for Lazarus, not just for their family, but for you and for me. Our Lord has the power to overcome things, even when we have concluded it's too late. It's too late. Just give up. It's too late. Jesus often does his best work just when we think it's too late. Just when we think it's too late. I've seen this in my life, and I bet you've seen it in your life again and again and again. When you reach that point of despair, when you think all hope is lost, somehow, some way, often in the most unexpected way, the Lord shows up. And you know, hey, this isn't the end of the story. And so Jesus asked her, Martha, in, uh, in verse 26, after he says, you know, whoever believes in me will never die. And then he point blank asks her directly, do you believe this? 
Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. And so my question for you today is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because there are a lot of things competing for your allegiance. There are a lot of things that are tempting as if it's just like pulling on the thread of a sweater and unraveling the whole thing. There's lots of people that will tell you, oh, stop believing in fairy tales. This made up mystical God, whatever you're talking about, doesn't exist. Back to the Harvard chaplain who's an atheist. Again, what do you do when you stand there and someone is in their greatest point of need? They're grief stricken, they're mourning, and you have nothing to say and no good news to give them. That is not what Jesus has called and asked us to be. That is not who we are in him. If he is living in us, if you are a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit and that spirit is producing the promises of Christ in those moments. Don't keep your mouth shut. Give the good news. Give the promise. Raise the dead, not by your power, but by the power of Jesus who speaks through you and gives this good news to others. So what about you? Do you, do you believe this? Martha says, I believe this. And we uh, continue on here in verses 33 and 34. When, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jewish people who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. I want to just focus on this, this idea that Jesus is moved in spirit and deeply troubled. Something about us, when, like if you've ever gone to a memorial service or you've, you've ever, and this is especially true when it's somebody that really shouldn't have died, right? Or somebody that's really young and you have parents that are burying a child for whatever reason. That, those are some of the most heart-wrenching. But regardless of the context, when we go to a memorial service and we go to a funeral, First of all, our funerals, typically in, in the normal Western American type culture, the idea of a funeral is, well, maybe it lasts for 45 minutes. Uh, we sing a couple songs, we hear a message, maybe we go to the graveside after that, and that's kind of the end of it. And, and there are many other cultures around the world where that is not the case at all, and it certainly wasn't the case for here. In, in this particular culture, the, the, the funeral or the mourning went on for seven days. And so all these people that are doing all this weeping, we might think, man, they're sure are weeping a lot. Well, that's part of this. They would actually hire professional mourners, wailers, to just wail constantly. Maybe some of you people know folks in your life that would, this would be a good job for them. But uh, <laughs> there's this, this professional mourning that's going on to recognize the realness of the situation, the reality of death. And so, okay, we got, we got this going on. But then right in the middle of that, we have Jesus. Jesus, the word of life. God in the flesh, who is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Why is that? Because just like you and I know, there's something definitely doesn't feel right with death. It, we just know deep down that it's wrong. Jesus knows it's wrong too. Death is a consequence of sin of a fallen world 
We continue to live in this fallen world full of sin, full of brokenness, full of division that will not be fully restored without Jesus. It's not possible. And so for Jesus to be deeply troubled, for Jesus to be moved in spirit, he himself is recognizing the power of brokenness, the power of sin, the power of death, and what it does to the people that he loves. And so he is broken in spirit, and that should be good news for us on a number of levels because it also means that Jesus knows your pain. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows your experience. He's felt those feelings. We do not have an impersonal, non-emotional God. We have a God who knows you, loves you, cares for you because he became one of us. And he has experienced the same feelings that each of us have when we're faced with despair. But it's not just about feeling. Now, now here's a a lot of us struggle sometimes with memorizing scripture, right? You know, and there are people that are very gifted at this. And if you're one of them, that's awesome. Many others of us might not be so good. And so uh, memorization trick today, two words, verse 35. You ready? Shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now you can remember that, right? There. Now you're on your way to memorizing some scripture. Jesus wept. Okay, so Jesus wept. What do you mean? He's, he's, what are you talking about? Why is he weeping? Doesn't he already know what he's going to do about this? Well, of course. But that word wept almost has a hint in the original language. It almost has a hint of anger associated with it. He's angry at the consequence of sin. He's angry that the people are hurting because Lazarus has died. Because death was never supposed to be part of how this all works out. Well, you know, Jesus can weep and Jesus can be moved in spirit and Jesus can be, you know, gushing emotionally and he can show sympathy. But in the end, again, I go back to this point. If that's all Jesus does, that's it. He just really does a great job of being sympathetic. What does it change? What changes? Because a lot of people have taken this particular area of scripture and tried to turn it into a model of how then we should be. Well, we, if, we, if we are just sympathetic enough, then that's what God wants from us. If we just pour on the sympathy, then maybe that's, that's it. But no, God wants you to speak the truth about how he has already overcome death. Mary and Martha still believe that, hey, if... If Jesus would have come on time, not screwed around for an extra two days, he could have stopped death from coming. But we already know that Jesus himself has overcome death. He's not bound by death. He's overcome death. So if we live in that reality, then we know two things. Number one, if all you and I can do is be sympathetic and, and, and dry people's tears, and we don't ever give the promises of God, then we immediately run into the limits of what our human love can do. But what can God's love do? Human love can only mourn the dead and remember the dead, but God's love raises the dead. God's love raises the dead. I, 
I heard one person say amen. Is anyone there? Are you there? This is good news. Uh, so let me try that again. God's love raises the dead. Hey, all right. This is good news. Okay. Jesus, once more, this is verse 38. Deeply moved, came to the tomb, or to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. That was very common. It's a very common way to uh, uh, bury people. Now, it's also worth noting that the, the Jewish people were not like the Egyptians, for example. They didn't do all this preparation. They didn't try to do any kind of embalming. They didn't try to mummify the body or anything. It was pretty much the person died, and they would put, like, uh, spices and perfume on the body uh, and it'd bury it as quick as possible. Uh, and so this idea that the, the Lazarus dead Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days is not insignificant. That lots of bad stuff happens. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Martha says in response, Jesus says, take away the stone in verse 39. And, and Martha says, um, by this time, Jesus, look, man, I, maybe you don't know this, but uh, there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. He offered a prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. So this idea that Martha is saying, oh, you don't want to do this. The King James actually says, he stinketh. I was on vacation last week with my family, and I would say the same thing from the back seat of my car. <laughs> Got two boys. They stinketh too. But we're talking about a whole nother level. And so Martha's saying, no, again, no idea of what Jesus is really capable of doing. And so Jesus, instead of just standing there, weeping, offering sympathy, and saying nothing, he says something. It's a sermon. And unlike this sermon, his sermon is uh, one sentence. Maybe you were wishing that was true here. But uh, it, his sermon is one sentence long. You ready for it? I don't want you to miss it. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Here it is. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's the sermon. Lazarus, come out. Now, in the midst of what is happening right here, the raising of Lazarus, Jesus also knows what's coming for him because this is the thing. This miracle is so obnoxious that he no longer can be ignored. He's got to be dealt with. He's got to be stopped. He's gone way too far this time. And so this is what actually sets in motion the arrest, the quote-unquote trial, the crucifixion, all of it. And that was supposed to take care of the problem. But here's the thing that the Pharisees didn't quite understand either. The Pharisees could not silence him. Pilate could not kill him. Death could not defeat him. And the grave could not hold him. And so when we think about what does that mean for us 
in a world that wants us to desperately believe that that's not true, that Jesus doesn't have the power to overcome. Well, one way that we stand in defiance of the world and all of its schemes and plans to distract us, if you are hearing this right now, if you hear the sound of my voice, it's not just a call to Lazarus to come out. It's a call to you. Come out. Come out of your life of rejecting Jesus. Come out of your life of sin. Repent of the ways that you've distracted yourself. Repent of the ways that you continue to turn your back on our Savior and instead turn toward him and come to him. Come out of your life of anxiety and overwhelm and depression and addiction and pornography and sports and all of these other things that consume us to the point where we focus almost exclusively on whatever that thing is, believing that it might bring us comfort. Come out. Come out of that. That's death. Come out of that and turn to Jesus. And one way that we understand the power of what that means is through baptism. We're going to have some folks baptized right here. Okay? And so when Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, he says it like this, which I can't say it any better myself. This is uh, Romans 6 verses 3 to 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus knew he was headed to the cross. He knew that he was loaded up with the sins, past, present, and future, of the entire world carried upon himself. He knew that he would be put to death, and in so doing, in his death, that he would once and for all put sin to death. He would stop the power that death has over any of us. And his resurrection proves, proves to us once and for all that Jesus cannot be contained by the grave. He cannot be defeated by death. Are you living in that truth today? Because if you are, I want you to consider this. We've never done anything like this at Grace Church, except for the last service, spoiler alert. But... Beyond that, we've not done anything like this. We normally, so we schedule baptisms. We have people come in and we talk about it and all this kind of stuff. But as I've prepared for this message, I have been so unbelievably convicted, unbelievably convicted and led over and over again back to Acts chapter eight. If you don't know Acts chapter eight, that's fine. I'm gonna give you a little summary here. What, what it is, is that there's this Ethiopian eunuch who's traveling and, and he has this, somehow, he must have been a, a wealthy individual because he's got a copy of the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading what the prophet Isaiah has written, but he doesn't have any idea what any of it means. And Philip, who's a disciple of Jesus, shows up on the scene. And he starts having an encounter with this Ethiopian. And this is where we're going we're gonna to pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 32. 
This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And then he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Well, folks, listen to me. There is water. What is to stop you from being baptized? What is to stop you from being baptized? All right, you might be thinking, well, okay, I'm not prepared for that. We've prepared for you. We have shorts, we have t-shirts, we have towels. Don't let that stop you. Well, I was baptized as an infant, you might say. Yeah, me too. You want to know what? There is nothing wrong with you making a public declaration of your faith in Jesus. We can do that in baptism right here, right now. So don't let that stop you. Maybe you say, well, you know, it's kind of running long. Uh, I don't want to be here all, all day. Don't let time be the reason. I want you to ask yourself, what can stand in the way of you being baptized? And so we're going to have the people that have been scheduled already. They're going to come up and Pastor Steve is going to talk to him a little bit about that. But if today is the day, if you are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit who's calling out to you today, right here, right now, come out. If that's you, I want to meet you back in this corner over here by the exit sign, this corner. I want to meet you there and then I will send you on your way. We'll get you a change of clothes. Don't let this moment pass you by if the Lord is calling to you. Today is not the day to wait. Today is the day to come to Jesus. So we're going to do that. And then we're going to sing a worship song at the end. And it's going to be amazing. And you're not going to want to miss it. Now, at the same time, I realize if a lot of people come back there, that's awesome. We'll baptize people all day. We'll baptize people however long it takes. So don't let time be a factor, but I realize, you know, everybody's overscheduled their lives anyway. So if you've got somewhere you got to be, uh, you, you know, he's going to give you dirty looks. We understand. But if you would like to get baptized today, I would love to talk to you over here in the corner. And in the meantime, right now, I'm going to turn it over to Steve, but let's pray as we do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you that you are the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, ever-present, never-absent God in the flesh. And we raise your name today, Jesus, and we focus on you and we celebrate your faithfulness and your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We ask, Lord, that in this moment that you stir the hearts of those you're calling to that they might make a public statement of defiance against the world by saying, my hope does not come from the world. It is only completely and ever in the identity of Jesus. Jesus, the one who came to set us free. 
We thank you for the work that you've done in this place today, in the hearts who are here, even the hearts that are online. We ask, Lord, that this not be the end, but just that this be the beginning. This be the beginning of new life in you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.